Have you ever heard of Hugh Latimer and uh, Nicholas Ridley? Uh, they were known as the Oxford Martyrs and were burned at the stake for their faith October 16, 1555. Hugh Latimer is the Bishop of Worcester and a former Catholic priest. And after he was converted, he began to preach against man's traditions, uh, the literal presence of Christ in the Eucharist, and the supremacy of the Pope. Uh, Nicholas Ridley was, he was a bishop of London. And among other things, he opposed the soon-to-be queen uh, Mary's ascension to the throne. You know Mary, it's better known as a Bloody Mary, who just happened to be a devout Catholic. And so obviously this is just a recipe for trouble. So eventually both men would be imprisoned and then eventually they would take part of heresy trials. So these trials consisted of uh, an interrogation period, and after that they were giving a 15-minute sermon, urging them to recant, to submit back to the church, and to save their lives and their souls. You know, they were given opportunities to recant before. But they didn't then. And they wouldn't now. But in response, really this say this. He said, well, so long as the breath is in my body, I will never deny my Lord Christ and his known truth. God's will be done in me. And responses like this signed their death certificate. So, so branches and wood was gathered to be used for pyre. Gun smoke, or gunpowder rather, was hung around their necks. Ridley would come to the stake and kiss it. Both of the men got on their knees and prayed together. As the fire was kindled under their feet, Latimer said this to Ridley. He said, be of good comfort, Master Ridley, and play the man. We show this day like such a candle by God's grace in England as I trust shall never be put out. Latimer quickly succumbed to the smoke of the flames and had a rather painless 
death. That wasn't the case for Ridley. But he suffered tremendously. So much so that they had to continue to add wood till it came almost up to his head as he was just screaming in agony, as witnesses says, Lord, have mercy on me. I cannot burn. We're not always guaranteed a favorable outcome, are we? It wasn't guaranteed for Latimer and Ridley. It wasn't guaranteed for Esther either. And brothers and sisters, I want to tell you today, it's not guaranteed for us. One thing about it, from the saints and ancient history, and we as well, none of us have gained immunity when it comes to our faith being placed on trial. It was trying times then. It's trying times now. And, you know, for Esther, maybe things would turn out like it did for those three Hebrew boys who refused to bow down to Nebuchadnezzar's image. And God would preserve them through the fire without their hair being cinched or sent a smoke in their clothing. But you know what? Just maybe things would turn out like it did for the prophet Isaiah, who after years of faithful service and speaking for God, as tradition has it, he was sawn into two by the wicked king, Manasseh. And so there, we don't know what the outcome will be when we choose to make a stand for God and his people. But one thing that we do know is that what Esther needed then and what we need right now is to have a fearless faith. With that in mind, let's turn to our text. The book of Esther, chapter 5. And I'll be reading verses 1 through 8. And it reads, Now it happened on the third day that Esther put on her royal robe and stood in the inner court of the king's house in front of the king's rooms. And the king was sitting on his royal throne in the throne room opposite the entrance to his house. 
Now it happened that when the king saw Esther, the queen, standing in the court, she advanced in favor in his eyes. And the king extended to Esther the golden scepter, which was in his hand. And so Esther came near and reached out and touched the top of the scepter. Then the king said to her, what is troubling you, Queen Esther, and what is your request? Even to have the kingdom, it shall be given to you. And Esther said, if it seems good to the king, may the king and Haman come this day to the feast that I have prepared for him. Then the king said, bring Haman quickly that we may do the word of Esther. So the king and Haman came to the feast which Esther had prepared. Then as they drank their wine at the feast, the king said to Esther, What is your petition? For it shall be given to you. And what is your request? Even to have the kingdom, it shall be done. So Esther answered and said, My petition and my request is, if I have found favor in the eyes of the king, and if it seems good to the king to give heed to my petition and do my request, may the king and Haman come to the feast which I will prepare for them, and tomorrow I will do according to the word of the king. You know, Esther was walking in the valley of the shadow of death. The edict has been given, and there was going to be imminent death for all the Jews in Persia. And, you know, we see Esther. She seems like she's in a, a place of influence and power. And she would be the most likely candidate to intervene for behalf of her people. But you know the last one problem. Esther has been living a life of great compromise. You see, up to this point, Esther has been living a life as a Persian. She's only known by a Persian name. And there's nothing about her life that screams, I am a Jew. And such is true for some of us Christians today. But above all of this, she has actually become the queen of Persia. I mean, talk about compromise. You know, we have to learn to reject that old age adage. While in Rome, do as the Romans do. And the same is true for when in Persia, or even while here in America 
today. It has to come a point in time when we have to get tired of being a part of what's going on in Susa. And maybe that is you today, oh Christian. Maybe you have been living a life of compromise. Maybe you don't have a Christian name. Maybe you have become the king or queen of compromise. I'm here to tell you some good news. And that is that there is life after compromise. Even after a lifetime of compromise. Many times the thing that keeps us from having fearless faith today is the compromises of yesterday. You know, we may not have a Christian testimony at work or school. We may not have been modeling the gospel in our home. And yes, we may have become the kings and queens of compromises. That may all be true. But there's only one question that needs to be answered at this present moment. And that is, what are you going to do right now? You see, God is the God of yesterday, today, and forevermore. But he's the God also of right now. So what are you going to do right now? We have to learn to say, no matter what I did this morning or yesterday or the past week, maybe over the past years, And no matter what kind of train wreck we might have at this present moment, that I'm going to trust and obey God right now. Don't allow past compromises keep you from present obedience. Fearless faith says that I'm going to do right by God no matter how much compromise I've done before, and how many people there are to remind me of it. Fearless faith is making the decision that I'm going to please God no matter what's the cost. We have to make a decision that we're going to please God. But fearless faith has to go beyond what we say. You see, because Esther has made a verbal commitment. She said that I'm going to the presence of the king and I'm going to disregard the law. And if I perish, I perish. 
you know, this really big talk coming from Esther. But it's not what we say, right? It's what we do. And I can just think about certain things that people say uh, uh, today. You know, people say, talk is cheap. Actions speak louder than words. You can talk the talk, but can you walk the walk? And, you know, we used to say growing up, uh, don't talk about it. Be about it. But James put it this way. James says, if you say you have faith and have no works, can that faith save you? Can that kind of faith save you? You know, we like to say a lot of things, don't we? You know, Today, today I'm going to be a witness at work. You know, this, this week, I'm going to start to have devotions with the kids. You know, this year, I'm going to read through the Bible. We make a lot of false promises to God and to everyone else. For that matter. But you know what? Esther kept her word, didn't she? And the text says that on the third day that Esther put on her royal robe and she stood in the inner court. And look, it says that Xerxes was sitting on the throne. I want to remind us what kind of man. Xerxes is. Uh, there was a man named, named Pythias. And, and, and Pythias was one of the wealthiest men in the Persian Empire. And he hosted Xerxes and his army in Sardis. And he really showed Xerxes a great time. And when Xerxes was about to leave... Pythias gave Xerxes a large sum of money for his campaign in the conquest of Greece. Xerxes refused this gesture and instead added money to the treasury of Pythias. Not long after that, there was a, a, a an eclipse, and the eclipse was uh, pretty much regarded as a bad omen in those days. And so Pythias had five sons serving in the army of Xerxes, and he requested for the eldest one to be returned home so that he may have an heir. Well, as you all might have guessed, Xerxes didn't take this too well. The implication that he might not have Success. So what does Xerxes do? Well, Xerxes take Pythias' oldest son, 
and has them cut in half. And has his two halves placed on opposite sides of the road. And has his army marched in between his severed body. That's the Xerxes, the estimator appearance too. After not being summered for now 33 days, this is the Xerxes that she has appeared to. And so you might ask yourself, how did she muster up the courage to appear to Xerxes after she has already told Mordecai that, listen, I have fallen out of favor with this guy. How does she get that type of courage? Well, the answer is, it's because Esther didn't make an emotional decision. She made a volitional one. In other words, her mind was made up. You know, without fail, many believers today compromise and falter simply because their mind is not made up that they're going to please God. I'm going to ask you a question. Uh, when, when is the last time that you woke up in the morning and said, Lord, with my mind, my body, and soul, at all costs, I'm going to please you today. We haven't made those type of decisions many times. And when your mind is not made up, on if you're going to please God or not. You're going to be in and out of a life of compromise. You're going to be in and out of a life of compromise. And so, we have to ask ourselves, are we trying to learn, as Paul says, what is pleasing to the Lord? And are we walking in a manner worthy of the Lord to please him in all respects? Fearless faith has to do with our will. When we say, thy kingdom come and, and thy will be done, it's not just important that we say it. It's not just important that we believe it. But it's even much more important that we commit our minds to it. We have to be surrendered to the will of God. And, you know, Esther did all of this in spite of knowing the outcome of her own life. Fearless faith has to bring us to a place beyond personal preservation. She was convinced that God was going to provide salvation for her people and keep his promises. And, you know, fearless faith is not that we don't have a sense of fear. 
fearless faith is having a greater sense of God and his nature and his character and his promises. And Esther had the promises of God that he was going to preserve Israel. But you know what? We have something so much greater. Do you remember the disciples when they were walking through the Mount of Olives, headed to Gethsemane, uh, the night that Jesus was to be betrayed? And remember what Jesus said to them? He said, this night I, the shepherd, is going to be struck down, and you, the sheep, will be scattered. Well, what, how did they respond? Well, well, Peter said, Lord, if everyone else fall away, I will never fall away. And do you remember what Jesus said to Peter? He said, Peter, this night, before the night is over, three times you're going to deny me. And how did Peter respond? He said, Lord, if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. And the rest of the disciples, well, they were all saying the same thing. But what did they do? They left him alone that night, didn't they? To be rejected alone. To bear a cross alone. To be crucified alone. And so you got to ask yourself, well, well, what transpired between that moment in the garden and, 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 and the book of Acts? Where they're standing before the same Sanhedrin with all boldness and courage. How did they come to a place of fearless faith? We know it wasn't their confession because they all still denied him. We know it wasn't the transfiguration because they all still had little faith. And we know it wasn't the Lord's Supper because they all still left him alone. And we know it wasn't the crucifixion because they all were still hiding and afraid. The thing that gave them fearless faith was the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It was the resurrection of Jesus that gave them the boldness and the courage that they needed to have fearless faith. No, I believe that the reason that many of us don't have fearless faith is because we do not believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I mean, we believe it. 
we just don't don't believe it. You know what? I, you, you guys know what I mean. But it's the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The fact that we have a Savior who has overcome death that give us the boldness we need. You see, we serve a risen Savior and we have an empty tomb. And we have someone who has ascended and is now seated on the right hand of God making intercession for us. So even though Xerxes is the one sitting on the throne, we're not trusting in his scepter, are we? No. We are trusting in the sovereignty of God and the finished work of Jesus Christ. That's where our hope is. We are trusting in the sovereignty of God and the finished work of Jesus Christ. Esther had the promises of God that he would preserve Israel. We have the promises of God. They will always be with us. For he says, behold, I am with you always, even until the end of the age. Talk is cheap. God's grace isn't. But we must also know that fearless faith isn't the same thing as reckless faith. Fearless faith does not negate the use of wisdom. Being fearless doesn't mean that we shouldn't be wise. There's a time to be quiet and gentle like a lamb. And there's also another time to be outspoken and bold like a lion. There's a time to be invited in. And there is also a time to interrupt. The Bible tells us that we should be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. And we see a mixture of both of these in Esther. Boldness, gentleness, innocence. You see, when she shows up, she doesn't show up just any kind of way. But she shows up in her royal robe. And she doesn't just barge in and say, hey, Xerxes, do you want to come to my party? Well, that would have been a sure way for her to get killed. But what she do? She waits for Xerxes to extend the scepter to her. And this is very interesting because Esther has already ignored 
one custom by showing up uninvited, and then she submits to another custom by waiting to the extension of the scepter or the sword. And what we could take away from this is there's a time to disregard customs and the law to make a stand for God. And there is other times to submit to the other customs and the law to gain a godly appeal. But Xerxes extends his scepter. But that's only because God has already extended his. The scripture tells us that the king's heart is like talons of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he wishes. You know, many times we are fearful about the outcome of certain situations not knowing that God has already worked on someone's heart. God has already worked out a situation. God is always present and is always at work even when we don't see it. A hidden God isn't the same as an absent God. We can never go beyond God's providence. And you may ask me, well, what is providence? J. Vernon McGee explained providence in this way. He said providence is God's hand in the glove of history. Listen, I am so glad that God's hand is working in my life. And you should be glad that God's hand is working in yours. And so Esther continues to use wisdom by not blurting out a request. But she waits to be asked. And Xerxes says, what is troubling you, Queen Esther? And what is your petition? And I will give you up to half my kingdom. And so what is Esther's response? Well, she invites Xerxes and Haman to a banquet or a feast. And this is the fifth feast we've seen in the book of Esther. And while she's there at this feast, Xerxes asks her again. He says, he says, Esther, what is your petition and what is your request? And I will give you up to half my kingdom. And what does Esther do? Well, she just invites him to another banquet. What we need to understand here 
is the wisdom being used by Esther. The one thing that she has gained insight at this point is that she has favor with the king. Three times he has been favorable to her. First, with the extension of the scepter. Second, at a request to come to the banquet. And third, with him willing to come to another banquet. And all of these accompany with these remarks from Xerxes. What is troubling? What's your petition? I will give you up to half my kingdom. And so what's going on here is that Haman, who is full of pride, is being set up for an imminent downfall. Because the one thing Esther knows is that she has favor with the king. So being wise is not the same as being fearful. Being wise is showing that we are in perfect faith, displaying the infinite characteristic of God, which is wisdom. Let us pray. Eternal God, we just thank you, Lord, for this time, Lord, and we thank you, Lord, for this word. Lord, we ask for your forgiveness, Lord, if we have compromised, if we've become the kings and queens of compromise. Lord, we pray, Lord God, that we would just have a fearless faith and that, Lord, we would just trust in your resurrection and your grace to give us what we need to stand. Lord, just be with us, Lord, as we don't know what edicts may be handed down our way. We just pray, Lord God, that we'll be courageous and that we have fearless faith for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.